Welcome to City Church, Salt County. Glad you're with us this morning. Uh, interesting times, right? Interesting times. We're going to be in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 22 this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, turn there. Uh, if you are dependent upon your Bible app, you may have conflict in your heart this morning as you're trying to watch a feed and log on to your Bible app at the same time. Uh, got to erase my picture so that we can move on. Sorry, that was one of my proudest moments, drawing that computer and table. You have multiple comments talking I know. about your drawing. And how I know, I know, sad day, sad day. But since we find ourselves gathering via social media this morning, I want to start our discussion from that platform. Um, most of what we see or post is just noise. I, I made the comment the other day as I was mindlessly flipping through Facebook, and I'm like, why do I keep doing this? Because most of what I see, most of what we post is just simply noise. Um, very little value, very little uh, meaning to it whatsoever. Uh, yet we continue to do so. Yet, on occasion, we capture, via social media, we capture significant life moments. Uh, you know, you can see that in your memories that pop up on Facebook. You can see that uh, occasionally when you're just thumbing through your old pictures on Instagram or whatnot. Occasionally, we capture significant moments in life. Significant moments <clears throat> of life are often bookends for, uh, for greater seasons in life. Uh, significant moments in life. When you have books, and then you've got your bookends, holding that uh, together. Significant moments of life are kind of like this. They're kind of the, begin the beginning or the ending of a season. Um, so let's get your mind rolling this morning with this question, what are significant firsts in your life? Think about that. Think about all the firsts that we experience in life. Maybe we capture them on social media, maybe we don't. Uh, some of us captured, uh, we, we experienced many of our firsts before social media existed, uh, so we actually have printed pictures occasionally. Um, but what are some significant firsts that we experience in life? What do you got? Shelly says becoming a parent. Your first child. Yeah. First job. First job. Your first day on your first job. What else we got, people? Josh Freeman says first car. Uh -huh. First car. I remember being bummed. Because when I turned 16 and finally had freedom to drive, uh, I was on a family vacation and I didn't get to drive for a week after I turned 16. So that first car actually got delayed a week. What else we got? We got first child, first job, first car. Shelly says losing a parent. Uh, first death or loss parents. We've gone through that this week as Shelly's father has passed away uh, eight days ago and just navigating the first time that we've navigated this together and it's a significant moment in life. 
Uh, I'm going to throw another one up there just because y'all are afraid to say it. It's your first kiss. Your first kiss. Uh, so we've got a lot of significant firsts in life. Let me flip you to the other one and say, what are some significant lasts that we experience in life? Like we, we experience our first one of this, and that's significant, but what's some significant last things that we experience? Let me get your brain rolling. Last day of school. Last day of school, significant. I remember, I wanted to say I remember my last day of school. I remember counting down to my last day of school and that being a significant thing uh, in life. What are the last do we experience that are significant in life? If you're one who plays sports, Maybe your last game. Your says retirement. Your last day of work. So some of these coincide with our first. We had our first job, our first day at work, and now we experience our last day at work. Those are bookends for a season of life, and the first is significant, and the last is significant. As well. Um, so, oftentimes, the significance of a last, and this is um, kind of what I want to hit on with you guys this morning, is the significance of a last is difficult to know in the moment sometimes. Like, not so with school. It's like, you know, the last day of school, you're counting down, it's significant, you've been waiting on this for 18 years. You know that that's a significant last. But sometimes, oftentimes, when we experience a last in life, we don't know it's significant in the moment. Um, as we celebrated Micah's birthday, my, my oldest daughter, we celebrated her birthday uh, in February, and we celebrated over a meal, as we often do, and it turned out to be the last meal that we would share with my father-in-law. Uh, we experienced many meals. In fact, for years, we went to uh, Sunday lunch after church as a family with my father-in-law. We had holiday meals. We had birthday meals. And Micah's birthday meal turned out to be the last meal that we would share. The last time he would buy my dinner, uh, as he did so many times before. But we often don't know, it's difficult to know, the significance of a last in the moment because we don't always recognize what's going on. Um, this type of setting is where we find Jesus and his 12 disciples uh, for our second discussion about Jesus' final week of life. Uh, many people know that Jesus' final week of life is, is known as Holy Week. 
There's significant things that take place. We said last week that in John's writings, he, he devotes about half of his gospel writing to the last week of Jesus' life. So it, there's a lot of significant things taking place in this one week period. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 22 as Luke writes about Jesus' final week of life. And he gives his account. And in, in Luke 22, Jesus sets the scene for the 12 disciples and him to eat a Passover meal, to eat the Passover meal. Um, we kind of set the scene for Passover last week, but let me do it again. Passover was the annual celebration for Jewish people, and they would commemorate God's deliverance of Israel from slavery to Egypt. So Egypt enslaved Israel, forced labor, forcing them to do what they wanted. And then God, the, the people prayed, God set us free, take us to the land that you have promised. And, and it says they cried out to God and God heard their cries, heard their pleas. And then he set them free as a response. And for nearly 1,500 years, families came together to recreate the scene that we would read about in Exodus 12. And in Exodus 12, we have a few things. We have Pharaoh in Egypt refusing to let Israel go. We have nine plagues had been sent on Egypt, yet Pharaoh refused even more. Uh, the, the plagues were significant um, destruction and things that were sent and that, that, Israel, that Egypt experienced. It says Pharaoh hardened his heart even more and refused to let them go. And the tenth plague would be uh, the 10th plague that was about to be experienced would cause death for the firstborn in every home in Egypt, in every home, in every barn. The firstborn child or the firstborn uh, in each home would die that night. It said there would not be a home in Egypt that would not be touched by this plague. And God instructed Israel to slaughter a lamb and to wipe its blood on the doorframe of the home. So they are to slaughter the lamb, and then to the entrance of their home, they were to wipe the blood of the lamb on the entrance, the doorframe of their home. And then they were to gather as a family, eat the meal of the lamb, and they were to eat it with their bags packed and fully dressed, ready to go. Because that night, death would sweep through Egypt that night, and it would pass over the homes that were marked by the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, we get the name Passover. And they would celebrate the day that that plague came, but it passed over over the people of Israel who had faith in the blood of the Lamb. From this day, the annual Passover celebration was a festival to remember a few things. They would remember Moses. They would remember Egypt. And they would remember how God delivered his people. They would remember Moses, they would remember Egypt, and they would remember how God delivered his people. So with that all in mind, let's jump to Luke, Luke chapter 22, and we're going to be in verse 
14 to start. I want to read this section so that we can see a big picture and then we'll discuss what it is we're seeing. So in Luke 22, starting in verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I fervently desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I'll not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this, share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and gave it to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go as it has been determined, but woe to the man to whom he is betraying. So they begin to argue. And among ourselves, which one of them it was who was going to do it? Then a dispute arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But he, being Jesus, said to them, The king of Gentiles lorded over them. And those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. Should not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So here we are at the Last Supper. I want to point out a few things to you for our discussion today. In verses 14 through 18, 14 through 18, we see Jesus placing great significance on this meal for him. In his knowledge of the future and his impending death, Jesus knew that this was a bookend moment for him. Jesus knew that this was the last meal that he was going to share with his disciples. And we see that Jesus is saying, I have fervently desired to share this Passover with you before I suffer. We saw that Jesus knew this was a significant meal, a bookend moment for him with his impending death. And this will be their last meal together. And then in verses 19 through 20, we see Jesus communicating great significance on this meal for the future. So he wants them to understand the significance of this meal moving ahead, taking the bread that they had taken together multiple times. This was not the first time that he and his disciples had shared this meal together. He took this bread and he broke it and he flipped the script on them. He flipped the script. He said, in the future, this bread and this wine will not draw you to think of Moses, Egypt, and Israel being delivered from Pharaoh in this future, in the future, as you continue to observe this meal, this broken bread will remind you of my broken body. And this, this cup will remind you of the blood that I have poured out on your behalf. 
So he's wanting to communicate great significance on this meal for the future. And as Moses set Israel free and delivered them from Egypt, Jesus says, I will set the world free from bondage to sin and death. So from now on, this meal holds great significance in a different way. And I want you guys to know that. I want you to know that this is the last time I'll share this with you. And every time you share this together from now on, I want you to remember me, my body, and my blood, and the deliverance that I give you from sin and power over death. He says, I am making a new covenant with you now. This is no longer to remind you of the old. This meal reminds you of the new. So Jesus in, in Luke 22, as he sits and he has this Passover meal, great significance. Jesus is like, this is, this is it, guys. This is the culmination. This is the bookend. This is a significant moment. There's a lot going on as we're rallied around this table and as we're sharing. And so much is racing through Jesus' mind. So much is he's trying to communicate in this time. And in them verses 23 and then 24, what do we find? We see the disciples missing the significance of the moment. We see them missing the significance of the moment. Right. When we talk about first and we talk about last, um, a significant moment. Uh, I remember my last first kiss. Right? So you remember your last first kiss. Shelly and I had been seeing each other a few times, and uh, I was getting antsy. I remember being, how old was I? 22, and we'd been on a couple dates. I was getting antsy. Uh, you know how guys are. So in the front yard of her parents' house, I got permission, and I moved in for the kill, and to be honest, I don't remember a whole lot about the kiss, but I'm sure it was great for Shelly. Uh, fairly certain of that. Uh, but in the moment, in the moment, it was another first kiss, right? In the moment, it was a first. Another first kiss, the natural progression of our relationship. But in hindsight, it was my last first kiss. In the moment, it's just another first kiss. But in hindsight, now that I view that 18 years later, it was my last first kiss. It was a bookend moment for the rest of my life. It was a significant moment for the rest of my life. I want you to understand something this morning. We rarely realize... The significance, we rarely realize the significance of a moment until the moment has passed. We rarely realize the significance of a moment until the moment has passed. Jesus' disciples missed the moment as they argued with one another. 
Like Jesus is like, man, this is a big moment. I've looked forward to this. Here we are, the last time I'm going to do this with you. Now, every time you're going to do it from here on out, here's where I want to drive your attention. And then we look and we see the disciples missing the significance of the moment because of what? They're fighting with each other. Argument number one, who's the worst? Like Jesus just laid it on the table. Somebody at this table is going to betray me before this is done. It's like, is it you? It ain't me. Is it you? Tyler, is it you? No. It's not me. It's got to be Derek. Must be Derek because it's not me. And now a fight breaks out. Who's the worst one in the room? This is like, for Jesus, the pinnacle of significant moments with his 12. But for the 12, it's like, who's the one in the room that's about to screw it up? And we're going to fight about it now. Tempers flare, and they begin to argue. And then it says, immediately following argument number one, we enter into argument number two. We just defined who's the worst. Now I want to define who's the greatest. Must be me. I'm the best. I'm going to sit at the right hand of Jesus when we enter into the kingdom. What makes you think you get to sit by him? I deserve to be the one sitting by him. We rarely realize the significance of a moment until the moment has passed. And the moment was missed because they were looking around the room. Jesus wanted to draw their attention in for this moment. He wanted to capture their minds. He wanted to draw them into a significant moment. But they, instead of looking at Jesus, they began to look around the room and they missed the whole thing. They missed it. When the significance of this meal, like, clicks in their mind. Go, go here with me for a second. When the significance of this meal, like the 12 sitting there went through two arguments while Jesus is trying to have this incredible moment with them, teach them about the rest of their life and where we're going. And like they just want to fight looking around the room. But then like Jesus goes and he's crucified, he's resurrected and these things are drawn back to their attention and it clicks. How do you imagine these guys reflect on their role at this meal? How do you think they feel about how they handled this moment? Regretful. Regretful. Dang. Like Jesus had so much in store for this moment. But instead of looking at him, we want to look around the room. And there's regret. What else? How do you think they reflect on their role during this meal when they look back? What do you think? <clears throat> I assume at some level they're frustrated with themselves. Maybe embarrassed. I don't know how to spell embarrassed, so that's the best I can do. We've got angry, mm. sad, and shame. Shame, 
anger at themselves, and then sad. So as these 12 look back on this moment and they look at their role in the moment, all that Jesus had planned and was trying to draw them into, yet they were distracted because they look around the room. And when they reflect on this moment, we assume that they regret it, they're embarrassed, they're experiencing shame, anger, and sadness. And what should have been, what could have been one of the most significant bookend moments of their life. This was the start. For Jesus, it was the end of something it was the closure of a season, but for these 12, it was the beginning of something. And he was inviting them into, showing them, ushering them, explaining and saying, let's go into this season. And instead of following them into it, they look around the room and they get distracted. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. What causes some moments to be more significant than others? What causes some moments to be more significant than others? Okay, could be how much you've put into it. What else we think? When I think about what causes a moment to be more significant than others, um, I think about how life-altering that moment is. Let me say it in a different way. the ripple effect. What's the ripple effect of the moment? The ripple effect. It's like when you drop a stone in the water and then it just continues to ripple out from there. If, if you go to the lake and you, you drop a stone in the middle of a completely still cove and you drop that stone, and then by the time you look up, moments later, the ripples have gone through the entire cove. And there's some moments in life that cause that ripple effect. Some moments in life cause a movement that continues. And the bigger the movement, the more significant the moment, right? The ripple effect describes a word that we find in the Bible. Glory. Glory, literally, when you read glory in the Old Testament, literally means to be heavy. To be heavy. Um, it, it, it's communicating God's intrinsic worth. Uh, I, I love one of the definitions that I read. It said, it's the unspoken manifestation of God. Like, it's not how you describe him, but it's the ripple effect of his presence. Like, he doesn't even have to say it, but when he moves into a moment, when he moves into a situation, when he applies the weight of himself into a life or a moment, there is a ripple effect that takes place. Like there's an undoubted, recognizable, like God drops himself in, 
and the weight of who he is changes things. And that's glory. That's how we describe the concept of glory. Read in Ephesians 3.20, there's a translation called God's Word Translation. I love how it says Ephesians 3.20. Glory belongs to God. Glory belongs to God, whose power is at work in us. And by this power, he can do infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. Glory belongs to God. Great moments begin with God. Significant moments begin with Him. In hindsight, we see the ripple. We see the ripple of the manifestation of God in our daily lives. But we can begin, can we begin knowing significant moments as they happen? That's the question. It's like when I look back at moments, that was a big moment. That was huge. Like 18 years later, I look at my last first kiss and I see what God was doing. I see what he was shaping. I see what he was causing. And the glory of God dropped into the relationship that was taking place with me and my future wife. And then the ripple effect of her and I being together and God's glory dropping into it. The the ripple effect has just been incredible. When When I think about the last meal that we shared with my father-in-law. And it's like, man, the ripple effect is, is just big. But the question is, can we, in the moment, can we recognize and understand and handle ourselves in these moments, knowing that they could be significant? Or do we have to wait for hindsight to kick in? I believe the answer to that question, I want to make this really simple. I believe that we can more, how do I say this? I believe that we can handle everyday moments better So that when they're significant, we experience less regret, embarrassment, shame, anger, and sadness because we were prepared to receive significant moments from God. I don't think we have to wait on hindsight to kick in before we receive significance from everyday moments. So what do we do? I think it's simple. What was the fault of the disciples? The fault of the disciples is they were looking around the room. Jesus was drawing them in. Come on, guys. This is big. This is big. Let me see your eyes. Let me talk to you right now. I have longed for this moment with you for so long. Let me get your attention. Let me talk to you. Let me draw your eyes towards me. And they're just so distracted by the other men in the room that they miss it. 
So how do we take everyday moments and receive what God's wanting to do in these everyday moments, eliminating so much regret and embarrassment and shame in our life and receiving more of what God's wanting to do. How do we do that? We quit looking around in everyday moments and we begin to look up. Just quit looking around. And when we enter into everyday moments, which everyday moments could turn out to be significant moments. It's like we don't plan significant moments, do we? It's not like we enter into it and say, I have prepared for this significant moment. Now I'm going to cause it to be significant. No, God has planned for significant moments. And when he enters into it, it becomes that way. But when he enters in, are we waiting, attentive, expectant? Or are we distracted by what's going on in the room? I believe if our posture in everyday life would change to look up. Say, God, what are, you, what are you wanting to do right now? Like, I just met this girl. We've been on two dates now. I'd like to kiss her. <laughs> but like, what are, you, what are you doing? What do you want to do right now? How could I, how could I make room for what you're doing in this new relationship. Like if I would just change my posture to look up as we navigate everyday moments, I think we would eliminate so much of this and we receive so much more of this. One of the interesting things about like conversation in our, in our home so much this week has been about my father-in-law. One of the interesting things as we've navigated this is <clears throat> we seemed so like just oblivious to what was going on. He, he had some health issues and we knew that, but we didn't recognize the weight of them, right? It's like, you know, somebody's sick, but you don't recognize the weight of that sickness and what, what's actually going on. But what was interesting is, like even last night, my wife and I were talking and we were reflecting on so many conversations that we've had with him over the last year. And he knew. He knew the weight of what he was going through. <clears throat> and because we were distracted by work, distracted by relationships, like when we would go to these meals, I remember, I remember that birthday meal for my daughter. And I remember thinking about the ball game. I remember thinking about the jobs I got to get done. I remember thinking about all this. And I don't remember one time having the posture where I just look up and say, God, man, this is so good that you have brought us together. What, what, do, you, what do you want this moment to look like? What do you want to do here? I just remember thinking, I gotta get home and I gotta get that job done. I gotta get the schedule done. I gotta recover from this game. And there's just so many things as I'm looking around the room, consumed by what's happening around me and have no posture upwards. But my father in law did. And he knew, just like Jesus knew at that supper, the significance of a moment from having a posture of looking up. Can we change our posture so that everyday moments when God's calling us 
into his glory, that his glory might step into our everyday moments and create significant moments that are life-altering, book-end moments, season-changing, life-changing, direction-changing. We're ready to receive it, and we're ready to run with him. Or will he find us distracted by everything else that's going around in the room? Man. So I want to leave you with some at-home discussions for the people in your home, Maybe the people in your life. Hit us up on our Facebook page if you don't have anybody in your house to talk to about this. And as you just kind of filter through these next three questions, I ask you to do this. And, 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 and this, is, this is where it's going to grab hold. This is where it's going to take root in your life. This is where these things are going to go from ideas to realities. So three questions. Number one, how does this impact the way we approach everyday moments? How does this impact the way we approach everyday moments? We'll put these questions up on our Facebook page. Number two, how can we apply Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 to everyday moments? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's just throw those off. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. The disciples were entangled by sin and things around them. How do we throw those off? Throw those off. Fix our eyes on Jesus and run our race. Change our posture. How do we do that? What needs to happen? Question number three, are there realities we need to confess or change in order to do that? Are there realities or are there things that you need to confess or that you need to change in order to adapt your posture, to look up, to fix your eyes on Jesus. Run your race ready to receive what he wants to do in any and every moment. Are there things that need to be confessed, brought out into the open, eliminated, changed habits? What needs to happen? What needs to happen in your life to apply these things? I believe close with this. <clears throat> I believe that you will never capture the significance, the full significance of any moment in your life. You will never capture the full significance of any moment in your life until you confess Jesus. Because glory belongs to God. You can have good moments. You can have significant moments. But you will never capture the fullness of any moment until you confess Jesus. Confess what? Confess that He, is, he alone is true. Confess that He, <clears throat> God, is found in Him alone. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one. And you confess that He alone is the source of of forgiveness and salvation. The book of Acts said there's no other name under heaven which one must be saved. You want to experience the fullness of every moment in your life? You want to experience the fullness of significant moments in your life? Glory belongs to God. It begins with Jesus. We'll put those questions up on our Facebook page. I strongly encourage you to discuss those in your home. Discuss them on our Facebook. Hit us up with a message. If we can encourage you, pray for you. Um, 
Man, we love you. We're thankful that you tuned in with us this morning. Look so forward to the day where we are all gathered under one roof again, celebrating life together, growing together on this spiritual journey together. But for now, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for checking us out on Facebook. Hit us up with a message. Can we encourage you? Can we pray for you? Is there a decision you need to make, something you need to confess? Uh, We're here for you. We want to take this journey with you. Let me pray for you, and we're going to check out for the day. Father, we know that glory belongs to you. And if we want to experience the...